The first signing day in the class of 2019 in the books. We watched Penn State sign 18 prospects on Wednesday. We've moved on. We're, we're tired. We're, uh, we did a lot, and especially Tyler Donahue did a ton of stuff on the site yesterday. We appreciate you checking out everything on Lions 24-7. This, of course, is the Lions 24-7 podcast. I welcome Tyler in. He's only going to be with us for a little bit. He's hitting the road to, to travel for the holidays this weekend. But, Tyler... Your first signing day with Lions 24-7, what'd you think? You know what? It was fun. I mean, it was part of the network, part of that 24-7 sports network. And then obviously you and Mark have covered your fair share of signing days. And um, this was number two for me on the Penn State beat in general. And, and obviously I've, I've hopped aboard this beat at the right time in terms of the talent they're bringing in. And I just thought, you know, it was very much like last year. Penn State had a lot of, of questions solved coming into the final day. Yeah, you wanted to see if they'd be able to bring in another big fish or two, um, and they accomplished that. So I think at the end of the day, not a lot of shortcomings to look at here. Shouldn't be a lot of letdown for Penn State fans, and, and we'll get into all that here on the show. Yeah, it, it, and James Franklin said this at his press conference, the signing day press conference on Wednesday afternoon. This is basically the expectation for them. This is bringing in, signing all of your guys, maybe adding one or two late guys, and then moving on and seeing what you can do in January. And that's pretty much been the theme in these two, this is the first two years of the early signing period. So they accomplished all their goals. I think the the big thing went 17 to 17 on guys coming into the day, including John Dunmore, who you know kind of went down to the wire with Miami and some other schools were trying to get him not to sign. And there was a, a little bit more drama. Florida State made a run at Michael Johnson Jr. And, you know, Anthony Wigan, as a junior college uh, offensive lineman, always going to be in demand with, with playing time available everywhere. But not a ton of drama for Penn State. That's just the way they want it. Yeah. And I mean, I think a lot of folks think when you get that commitment, uh, okay, now they're going to sign eventually. But there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes. There, there's, you know, the staff has to manage certain situations. Uh, you know, there's there's different people in these kids' ears in their hometowns, and because you know Penn State, they they went twelve different states are represented in this class where guys went to high school. Um, so there are a lot of communities, a lot of people that want input with these prospects. So even though you think it's neat and tidy, and and from commitment to signing day, it's an easy bridge to cross. It's not. I think with some guys, it's more easier than others. Uh, but I'll tell you what, there's going to be plenty of stories that, that never see the light of day from this recruiting class uh, about you know guys that were maybe teetering on the brink at different points. And when it gets down to it, though, uh, some of the catalysts of this class, the, the most highly rated players, they were probably the least amount of drama, which honestly, that, that's a lot of what we saw last year with guys like Ricky Slade and Justin Shorter. So they're recruiting players who, who aren't kind of leaving them hanging in the wind down the stretch. And I think that's a good trend. Well, you, you kind of forget about some of those guys. The Brandon Smiths, of course, is the five-star guy, the headliner of the class, and we talked about him plenty um, in our first episode this week. But Caden Wallace has been committed for a long time and, and, and some other guys that just never really wavered. James Franklin talked about uh, Lance Dixon, the linebacker from Michigan, and he, he was a guy that you know they got on campus early. They got him to camp early. He committed. He, his family sort of, you know, his mom was kind of on the, on the, the fritz about distance, but you know, he made it. He made the trip several times. He was just on campus a few weeks ago for an unofficial visit. So, and he'll be back in January to, to practice with the team. So he's, uh, he's one of those guys that, you know, maybe just a little bit of drama, but n- not enough to move the needle. So, uh, th- th- that's and, and pretty much this class a lot. as a whole. You know, We got a chance to speak with uh, the recruiting coordinators and James Franklin obviously took the, took to the microphone yesterday after everything was in the books. And one thing that was consistent was it wasn't just the prospects. It was the families that were very much involved uh, with this group. I think a little bit different than last year in speaking with Terry Smith, the cornerbacks coach, former Penn State player, recruiting coordinator on the defensive side of the football, guys who've seen a lot of classes come in. He didn't necessarily pinpoint one class leader. Um, last year it was very distinctly Jesse Lucchetta, and he spoke about that last year at the same press conference. This time, it was more about various players, Caden Wallace, Brandon Smith, Keaton Ellis, and he also talked about their parents, their families, the communication that existed there, the trust that was built through that. And, and you know, we saw this class take a little while to develop. Remember, there was two commitments in the class going into the spring game weekend, which is, you know, obviously not a high total at that point in the cycle. But by the time they got into summer break, they had gained the momentum, they had created that nucleus, and I think those guys really understood and took ownership of, of getting the class to the finish line, just like the coaching staff did. And I think to have that collaboration 
and that trust, it kind of gives you a head start in building the chemistry once these guys are actually on campus. Yeah, and and you've seen it in the last couple of classes that they've built uh, relationships with guys when they were younger. Like Ricky Slade comes to mind, but you know they also saw Devin Ford at a camp when he was a freshman. Caden Wallace has been on the radar forever. Brandon Smith, um, you know, kind of came in as as a typical sophomore that they started recruiting, and they got him on campus, but they also didn't offer him. James Franklin said that meant a lot to the family, so. Uh, you you don't typically think about that. Brandon Smith was was far from what he is today as a as a prospect at that point. But still, they got him on campus. Did not offer him, and that you know showed the the, the staff, or excuse me, showed the family that the staff was you know really uh, doing their due diligence, taking a look at his film, evaluating him, and 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 moving forward. So it's it's so funny because you know you've got guys who. Will visit and I and I look back to to Dax Holyfield as the linebacker at Virginia Tech. Um, he was a guy that visited for a game early. Penn State did not offer, and that was the last they saw of him. By the time they did offer, you know they were, weren't really even a hat on the table. So everybody reacts differently to that. Uh, luckily for Penn State, Brandon Smith's family was one that reacted uh, in, in the best way possible. But um, it was. Uh, just a really uh, interesting story that he, he told. Now, this was the first cycle with the early uh, official visits. Penn State hosted a bunch of guys in the spring, you know, for the spring game. And the first weekend of June was huge. Uh, started in April and ran all the way through uh, the dead, the summer dead period. But uh, that was an, an interesting change because you've got uh, really no real right way to go about it. You you offered, uh, excuse me, you hosted guys like Lance Dixon and Smith and Michael Johnson and, and Dunmore in June, Devin Ford. Uh, you know, committed to Penn State at, at the on his official visit at the Blue White game. Rudolph was there. Marquise Wilson was there. But then you also had guys that that visited early, like a Zach Harrison. Um, you know, it, it's it's so tough to know when you want to use that bullet. John Mechie came in June. Uh, Lewis Seen, who I think is, is is one guy that really got away from them, was a guy that came in June and then never made it back. So. Um, I don't know that they're, they, they've learned a right answer, but they've, they've got some experience now. You, you'd ideally want those regional guys, and we talked about this coming into the cycle, you want those regional guys to take their officials in the fall and then use your, um, you know, your more long shots to come in in the spring and summer because they might not make it back. And Andy Frank talked about that uh, you know, on Wednesday as well. But it's, uh, it was interesting to watch this play out because looking at the guys that visited, you, know, you locked up Noah Kane with an official uh, in November and some of those – some of those guys that came late headed elsewhere. I mean, it's just, there's no right answer, but it was just such an interesting um, new thing to follow. Yeah, recruit. people were already very, very into recruiting. You and I, guilty as charged on that subject, but it took another uh, step forward when they added the early signing period last year, added the early official visit window. And I mean, and now there's just no escape from from key stretches. I mean, there used to be chunks of time where, there wasn't going to be anything that was like a splashy recruiting moment. Now it almost feels like the, the first half of the year is a reflection of the second half. You've got the spring game, and now because of the official visits, to me it very much mirrors what you have for the whiteouts, uh, the whiteout game during the season. It's, it's the showcase event, trying to, to pile in as many commitments as you can, but you're also trying to make you know these big fish out there who are uncommitted, get them on campus for an event. We know they had, what, 160-plus prospects at the spring game. Many of them were important official visitors. And then I think you look at, you know, that June, that early June official visit weekend when they had Michael Johnson on campus, when they had John Donmore up. I believe that that's when John Mechie visited as well uh, before making his decision and picking Alabama. A bunch of guys that were important. To me, that's very reminiscent of what they do early in December when they get those key uncommitted guys on campus, surround them with the committed players and try to say, you know, envision your life with these guys being classmates being teammates, being family. And I think that they do that in early June now with that official visit window. They do it in early December. You saw a bunch of committed guys using unofficial visits to get there and be a part of that weekend a few weeks ago. Um, and then in between, obviously, you've got your camps and the Lash Bash event. Uh, but I think you know there's a lot going on, more than there ever was in the recruiting calendar. There's ways to take advantage of it, but there's also a reason why James Franklin has said, you know, there's a reason why staffs keep expanding. Uh, you need a lot of support uh, to, to handle functions like a like a whiteout game recruiting event or a spring game recruiting event. 
Yeah, and it's, it was almost backwards to the way that they want to do it because a lot of those regional guys, guys like Tyler Rudolph and Marquise Wilson, took their visits early in the, in the cycle. Of course, they, you know, they came back a couple of times after that, and they were able to do so because they're fairly close, and you can, you know, it's not hard to get here from Connecticut. But just look at the whiteout. The guys that visited for the whiteout, David Bell, going to go to Purdue. John Dixon signed with uh, South Carolina. Rodas Johnson signed with Wisconsin. Penn State didn't have scholarships for both those guys by the time they, they wanted to decide. But Adisa Isaac, of course, at, at Penn State. Cameron Williams, who's committed to Miami but did not sign on Wednesday. And then you've got Cardell Thomas, Tyrion Davis, guys that were you know go, going to LSU regardless. Noah Pola Gates and Brenton Strange. So just you know two of those guys uh, ending up at Penn State. So there's still no right answer, but it's just it's, it's fascinating to see how things have, uh, have changed with that new rule and it it will be interesting to see the approach because these uh these guys will you know the the regional guys they'll push to come in december but you know they want to see games they want to see the big weekends and things like that it's just not always going to happen yeah i mean when you're a team and and, uh, like penn state and you're trying to build yourself as this national brand you know guys who want to be on campus for the biggest games of the season that's the cool thing about about being able to make these official visits you get a chance uh, to go to the biggest games, you get a free ticket to the biggest games of the year um, and, and free travel and all that stuff. And you mentioned a couple of those guys were destined for Baton Rouge, Louisiana a long time ago. They were up on campus. But guess what? Uh, you don't always want to feel like you're being exploited because maybe you turn some attention. I think a great example is uh, the way Noah Kane talked about his first visit, Sean, back in April. And I know we're going to talk about Noah Kane here. Um, the way he, he talked about that visit was almost as if he was doing it as a favor to Jaywan Sider. And he was like, uh, Sider said I would like it. Uh, you know, Saquon Barkley was up there, so I figured it couldn't be that bad. And I'm not. Uh, this is a paraphrase of what he said. Uh, this is literally the kind of tone he took. Then after his visit, he was like, "I'm not going to lie. I was really surprised at how much I enjoyed Penn State." And and for some kids, you know, this is a major change of scenery. I mean, I, I'm from five hours away from here, Sean. I've never lived around mountains. It's still kind of cool to me to be driving around and, and in this scenery. Whereas people are from here and have grown up here and maybe went to school here. It's nothing new, but there is something to be said about the excitement of kind of having a change of landscape, a change in region, and you never know when you get these guys on campus, especially for something where you're packing in you know, 108,000 people for a football game and they're part of that environment, um, you know, it's, it's worth rolling the dice, it's worth the effort. Yeah, I mean it's 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 completely different for some of these guys. And you mentioned Noah Kane. Penn State landed him on Wednesday afternoon. Came right down to the wire. You wrote a phenomenal story that really took off. Uh, you know, with Damon Sales helped us out. Uh, he was at the announcement at the Star in Frisco on Wednesday. Really came down to the wire. I mean, Penn State had Noah Kane in the bag a few weeks ago, and then as James Franklin alluded to in his press conference, they called uh, what, about midnight on on Tuesday night and. You know, we're talking like they weren't committed. So you've got to patch things up. You've got to resell Penn State all of a sudden. And, you know, they, they were able to do that. They were able to, to fend off the charge. And that's what happened with a lot of it. It's, it's crazy to think about that this kid who's been, you know, recruited since his freshman or sophomore year, everything comes down to the last 24 hours. But that's just the way that uh, the, the world is going and recruiting right now. So, um, it's, uh, it was a big get for Penn state. They added their second top 10, top 15 running back. I think we have a number 14 running back in the country on 24, seven sports, number seven in the composite. Um, it, just a, a, a big get. And not only that, I mean, you, you you saw this kid announce on ESPN two from the star in Frisco, a national TV audience against Texas. I mean, that says something about where Penn state stands right now. Yeah, and I don't, I'm sure you caught this. The Penn State football Twitter account tweeted out, uh, you know, the reaction of, uh, of Penn State coaches. They tweeted out the, the announcement itself. Um, so yeah, this is a buzzworthy item for, for Penn State to disseminate, uh, you know, in, in whatever way they, they choose. Uh, you know, national TV and, and Noah Kane, obviously a hot button prospect down the stretch and really a fascinating recruitment overall. And you mentioned it coming down to the final 24 hours for Noah Kane, based on what he told Damon Sales, uh, in Frisco, Texas, it came down to the final 20 minutes. He says 9.45 Central Time is, is, is right around when he felt like he was ready to say Penn State, uh, ready to grab that Penn State hat. And, and then, you know, we're talking 9.45, he was sitting with his family in front of a camera 15, 20 minutes later, getting ready to go on national television and make this announcement. And, and you know, while this whole process is going on, I always wonder if it gets that down the wire. You've invested almost three years in this recruitment, if you're Noah and your family, you've, you've, you've played in different parts of the country trying to achieve this dream, putting yourself in the best situation to find the right college fit. I almost wondered when I heard all that, was there any discussion 
of saying, I'm not ready right now. Look, I got this three-day early signing period. I know that I'm going to be enrolling in January, but I'm not ready. I guess he was, and he made that decision, and that's great. Um, but the thing for Noah was he couldn't he couldn't say, you know what, I'm going to put this in my back pocket. I, I thank everybody for your consideration. I'm going to wait till February because he's going to be on campus in January. So he had to make a pick in this three-day slate. Um, and, and Penn State, you know, hearing it from Noah, hearing it from Franklin, similar stories. You know, Kane, it seems, had a really tough time late Tuesday night, uh, speaking it over with his parents, and he makes that phone call to Franklin. I'm sure that's the last number that Franklin wanted to see pop up on his on his phone that late at night is someone who was already committed to the class. I don't think he would have minded, uh, you know, seeing Cornelius Johnson or maybe Zach Harrison pop up, uh, and maybe that would have been a pleasant surprise. But when you see one of these committed players coming in, that that sends up some some alarms. So the way he puts it, he's sitting there in, in his boxers. It's late at night. God knows how many hours of sleep he's combined to get in the last three weeks. Uh, and he's coughing up a storm uh, in the press conference yesterday. I mean, let's face it. Noah Kane's running out of gas in his recruitment. He's been dealing with it for a long time. And, and James Franklin, is. I'm sure he won't say it. And, and, and he, he obviously finished strong. But he had to be running out of gas physically, mentally, after being so on, logging all these miles and, and trying to come to get this class to the finish line. So I think for both of these guys, that must have been a tough conversation. Uh, a very honest conversation, I would imagine. And, you know, Kane's parents at this point, they have heard every sales pitch in the book. Their son is being recruited for so long by so many different coaching staffs and came down to Texas and Penn State. We know he was at Tennessee. He had an Auburn and a Georgia hat on the table. LSU was a, a, a considered a top contender earlier in the process. But it very much was down to Texas and Penn State when, when he woke up Wednesday morning. And the way he put it, when he woke up, he was leaning to Texas. Uh, dialogue continued into the morning. Penn State is the pick. Um, I, I know that a lot of Texas Longhorns fans uh, have been very frustrated uh, about their program not finishing here, and I think this is a major testament to get this kid uh, on your campus in a matter of weeks. And you want to find someone who has their eye on the prize, it's Noah Kane. He used the phrase three and out three times during a two-and-a-half-minute interview with Damon after his commitment announcement. He is focused on getting to the NFL, and he feels, and he said this before, he feels like Penn State more than most programs right now at the running back position can serve as that launch pad to get him where he wants to be. And it's the Saquon Barkley effect. Miles Sanders stepped in and played very well. It's what he's hearing from Sider and Franklin, but something's clicking with the running back recruiting and, and, and Devin Ford is going to get overshadowed at least today. But I think both of these players have major capabilities uh, to be, you know, the guy in the backfield down the road, but you know, they've got plenty of talent waiting for them on campus to compete. Well, you said the Barkley effect, and you don't even have to mention his name anymore. I mean, you, you've got running backs that are coming to you saying, hey, I want to do this thing. I want to I want to be used the way that you used him. And, you know, these guys are not Barkley. I mean, they're not uh, the athletic freaks that, that Saquon is. Um, but it's uh, to have that luxury, to be able to fall back on that. Of course, with a new running backs coach, it's kind of different, but to, and a new offensive coordinator. But to, to be able to fall back on that and running back recruiting is going as well as anybody, you know, this side of Georgia, Alabama, um, this is a, this is a big get for Penn state and you move forward and, and Mark Anthony Richards is still on the board. I mean, maybe you go after him as an athlete, but he wants to be a running back. So that changes some things in the new year with him. But at the same time, you've got two in the boat, you've got two signatures in, you've got one of them coming in in January and you need that with, uh, with Mark Allen and, and Jonathan Thomas uh, graduating and whatever Miles Sanders may decide. So, Running back in a good spot right now, in a better spot after getting Noah Kane. And Sean, can we can we say for people who are you know hear the thing about Noah there? And, oh, this guy's going to come to campus, and he's only going to be concerned about the NFL. Uh, this is somebody who is willing and ready to share and compete in the backfield. If there's anyone in any anywhere in America at the high school level that you can say, well, yeah, he, he's he's not going to be selfish in the backfield. He's going to be okay not getting 20 touches every game. It's Noah Kane. He shared a backfield with the number one recruit in the country at the position in Trey Sanders, who ends up at Alabama on signing day. So Devin Ford has been the guy at North Stafford since his freshman year, since his first freshman game. The same exact story for Ricky Slade, what he experienced um, in his high school career at C.D. Hilton in, in Virginia. He was the starter from his first game of his freshman year all the way through the final game of his senior year. Um, Noah Kane started out being kind of that bell cow into his sophomore year in Texas. He spent the last two years getting, what, 8 to 12 touches a game maybe, splitting that with Trey Sanders in a very talented offensive huddle. So I think this is a guy, you don't have to worry about him not understanding his role if he's not 
you know, thrust into a, a main component spot immediately. And if you want to go to the NFL, if you're a running back, you have to be okay with sharing carries, sharing the spotlight, because you want to keep that wear down. We mentioned on the podcast earlier this week, he had 300 and some carries in his first two years of high school. Now, I think in the last two years, he's got about 150 combined. So taking some of that wear and tear off of him, and, and that's going to carry over to college where he's going to inevitably split uh, reps early in his career, I think. Um, so yeah, you, you have to be okay with that. And if his goal is the NFL, you know, you want to keep, you want to stay as fresh as possible. Um, we talked a lot about the class earlier this week in terms of, you know, who we liked, who, who we thought was, uh, you know, the star of the class and the sleeper of the class and all that stuff. A couple different terminologies when we're talking here in recruiting, you know, the star of the class, you're going to see Brandon Smith as the five-star linebacker and everything like that. The biggest get is is something different. And you, you and I have discussed this in the past. The biggest get is not necessarily the best player in the class, is not necessarily the guy that's going to play first, but the biggest recruit, recruiting win that they had. I have Adisa Isaac as that guy. He's been on top of my big board or our big board at Lions 24-7 since the summer. I mean, this is a guy that they brought in for camp. They love what he brought to the table. Zach Harrison was, of course, out there as a defensive end as well. But, you know, when you look at the recruitment, Adisa is a guy that Penn State, you know, should win out for. Zach Harrison's a guy that Ohio State should win out for. They eventually did win out for it. So Adisa, I think when you look at his tape, um, I don't think it's a stretch to say that, you know, he's better right now than Zach Harrison is. Harrison, of course, has a monster ceiling. Isaac has a very big ceiling as well. But uh, for him to get on, to, uh, you know, for him to get his letter of intent in, for him to get on campus in January as he expects to be in, uh, that's, uh, that's, that's a big deal for Penn State. And I have him as, as Penn State's biggest get. Um, you know, I have Lance Dixon here written down, you know, offered by the Michigan schools to get him out of Michigan. Um, you know, he's, a, a, I think, a phenomenal prospect. A couple years down the road, he's going to have to put some weight on to play that Sam position. But those two guys really stick out in my mind as, as the best gets, the best uh, wins for Penn State in this cycle. And, and I'll tell you what, uh, that's a great pick with Isaac. And, and he's certainly part of this early signing period, early signing week, whatever you want to call it, major late edition. I think, you know, when we're talking about biggest get, to me, it's, it's, it, that phrase indicates that there was some question late in the cycle and you don't find a lot of question marks within this class. Um, you know, they, they had great splash uh, landings early in the in the cycle. I think about what we saw yesterday. John Dunmore to me is a huge, huge get for this program. When you especially factor in what went on at the receiver position during this cycle, uh, what are you going to have there moving forward? John Dunmore, if he ditches this class and, and say goes to Miami, or even if he says I'm going to wait till February going to visit some other schools or whatever, and that throws everything into disarray. Instead, he signs, and, and, and he's going to be a member of this class. And, you know, Franklin said, you know, this talk about something that, where a kid comes to campus and is just ready. Uh, he told Franklin when he was on campus for his official visit back in June that, that he felt like Penn State was the spot for him, and, and he was going to be ready. And a month later, he committed, and here he is. I mean, this is a kid who visited campus once, and I can't stress enough how many times I've seen – these great ambitious recruiting efforts in South Florida seem like they're going to go and, and, and get complete and you're going to get this guy on campus in a different part of the country. And then at the last second, Miami ends up swooping in or a Florida state or a Florida. There's just something that is so difficult about taking kids out of that state at the end of the day. But I think right now it's the combination of Penn state bringing Cider on board. Uh, he is extremely respected there. You see how uh, ex he executed on this trail this year, but I think a key thing is here, you know, Florida, they showed signs of progress, but Florida State is in a very tough situation right now. People are not happy down in Tallahassee, and they're just as unpleasant in, in, in Coral Gables at this point with the Miami Hurricanes. Really hard to, to sugarcoat the situation that's going on for both those programs, specifically here in the case of Miami. Getting John Dunmore would have been an extreme outlier for what they're dealing with right now in terms of decommitments, uh, roster departures. Um, and I just don't think, you know, at the end of the day, it was a situation where John Dunmore could honestly sink his teeth in there if it wasn't just about uh, the relationships with, with his friends and, 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 and some stuff from the community. Because when you measure up what's going on with the Penn State program, what you think about how stable things are with James Franklin versus what's going on right now with Miami's program, there's just no comparison. So it would have totally had to be about comfort level with friends and family. And that's okay because it's a huge decision and comfort matters for college. But I think to be able to convince him that Penn State was the right place, get on a plane, move his life up there next year, that was the biggest get to me. 
in short, I think it's a really good time for Penn State to have Jay Wansider on its staff <laughs> because Miami's a mess. Uh, Florida State's a mess. Florida is is rebounding and, and did a nice job. They got, they got some some big commitments on Wednesday, but uh, it's a good time for that. I'm going to let you hit your biggest miss because I know that that sort of ties in with John Dunmore and his position. Yeah, again, I think the receiver spot, to me, John Mechie sounded like a guy who who was very much considering committing to Penn State, you know, earlier this year. I know you've had conversation with him, and and I think that obviously the, the, what you got to throw in there is is you lose a uh, one of the bright young coaches in college football, clearly in Josh Gaddis. Um, you know, this is a guy who, who who has a lot on his resume at a very young age in his mid thirties. You saw what he accomplished at Penn State as well, not just on the recruiting trail, uh, but as a coach and, and producing players and developing uh, players. So, you know, those were big shoes for, for Coley to fill on the field, but I think very much so in the recruiting environment. Gaddis w- was there when Mechie got offered. They had that route, and, and you know, ultimately that, that swung in the favor of Alabama uh, with, with Mechie heading that way. But I think, you know, then we who else was going to come in? I thought Emory Simmons was one of the more overlooked players in terms of, you know, oh, he's a, he's a three-star composite or whatever for a while. I'm not going to pay too much attention. He had a killer senior season. He's a guy that I think brought some really nice speed to the football field, and, and I think he could have done good things here. Again, comfort level, from North Carolina, stays home. I get it. But Penn State then has to figure things out. Cornelius Johnson then steps into the limelight. Uh, someone you have to get, and, and you know, 10 days before signing day, He's on campus for his official visit. He signs with Michigan. So while I don't think Penn State was considered the leader for Johnson, and by the end of it, Alabama was in a great style with Mechie, uh, I think there is a little bit of a, a uh, you know, what could have been with that second receiver spot to pair John Dummel with someone else. Very curious to see how they handle that slot in the recruiting class moving forward, where they'll prioritize it, which players could surface as potential uh, additions to the class in that spot. But I think you could really solidify what you've got cooking at wide receiver if they were able to bring in a second blue chip player at the spot. Um, so tough to find misses in this class, quite frankly, Sean, because I don't I, I don't think you can qualify a Zach Harrison as a miss. But to me, it's that second receiver spot where you just feel like, you know, what could we have maybe accomplished there that that wasn't accomplished? Eyebrow raising comments from James Franklin when, when I asked about the new coaches and how things have gone. You know, he kind of glossed over David Corley, said there was an adjustment period for, for him coming from Army. And I thought that was pretty interesting when you're talking about, the, you know, looking at this class and, and missing out on Mechie and Emery Simmons. And of course, David Bell, who I've written down here, who, you know, Penn State was in a really good spot for a long time. I, you know, I expect him to, to end up at Purdue, no doubt. But uh, yeah, that's uh, that's a position that, that's going to be need, need examined moving forward. I mean, there's, there's plenty of questions about Corley from from Penn, Penn State fans on our boards at Lions 24-7 so be really interesting to see how this moves because there's a guy in 2020 that they need to get and uh you know it's uh they they, they need to step up that part you mentioned I Bell have... by the way Sean totally messed up not mentioning him he, he out of that everyone I just mentioned to me he's the best wide receiver and for a while there it looked like Penn State was in a good spot I don't disagree with that. He's a phenomenal player for, and I think it'll be a, a really good pickup for Purdue. Uh, I think he announces at the uh, All American game in a couple of weeks. Not sure if he signed or not, but uh, you know, all signs seem to be uh, you know pointing to Purdue for him. I have Jakai Moore, and I know that's a little bit of recency bias, but looking at the class, no real true offensive tackle at the high school ranks. You may see see Caden Wallace bump out there out of necessity. Anthony Wiggins going to come in and play wherever they need him, but uh, that's a little bit different different boat for a junior college kid but Ja'Kai Moore is a guy that they targeted for the, the duration of the process uh, they really thought they were in a good spot with him and he ended up going to, to South Carolina and that's a that's certainly a miss and now they're going to have to regroup see what's out there Dewan Jones is a kid they offered a few weeks ago Doug Nestor was on campus you know Darnell Wright kind of remains a pipe dream but you, you've got some names out there but you may have to, to throw out some new offers in the new year so Ja'Kai Moore is my guy uh, Lewis Seen right there as well this is a uh, one that was pretty much devastating for Penn State when he moved from from New England down to Texas and you know saw some new schools not that he wasn't going to get out and check out some other schools but Penn State was you know a convenient location for him it was a convenient situation for him that he could come in and and uh, you know com- compete right away because he's a really good safety he ends up at Georgia so just not a ton of blatant misses in this class I guess you could you could add Andre White in there from Harrisburg but uh, not a ton of blatant misses in this class which is good but still some holes in this class for, for some guys going elsewhere uh, Andre Andre White was interesting wasn't it I mean he's a name that we haven't talked about in so long and 
and really since I've been on Lions 24-7, but there was a while there where you say, oh, there's another linebacker, another defensive prospect popping up at Harrisburg. How long is it going to take him to end up at Penn State? And, and you know, he's, he's stuck with that decision, and Texas a and he's, he's part of a top-five class right now in the 24-7 uh, sports composite. So, you know, I guess uh, everyone has their own path, but I, I would certainly say that was an early surprise in this cycle that, that it wasn't Penn State. It was an early surprise. We're, we're talking biggest surprise next. My surprise is Jaywan Sider in Florida, and that's not to be misconstrued as, as you know, I'm surprised Jaywan Sider has success in Florida because every stop along the way he has. But for him to have the success that he had so early, you know, we mentioned when he was hired, he had his guys that he went after. And, and John Dunmore was one of those guys. Mark Anthony Richards was one of those guys. And a, and, and a couple of those guys made it up for uh, – for official visits at Penn State, but it's not easy to get those guys up here because if you use your official on a guy early, I mean, it, the chances of him getting back up here, unless he's completely blown away like a John Dunmore was, is not great because, you know, it's it's not cheap to get up to State College, not cheap to fly to State College, and, you know, that's an investment to drive up uh, with your family or something like that. So they, they shot their shot, and they've, they, they've got two really, really good ones from Florida. I know, I know Noah Kane's from Louisiana and Texas and all that, but two top 20 prospects from Florida. Florida State signed or has three of them committed. Uh, Florida has two of them committed. Miami has one of them committed among the top 20 in Florida. And for Penn State to, to do so much, to, to put such a big dent in, in what they're doing in Florida so early, I think it opens up the eyes of the staff to what they can do. And I think it really shows, uh, you know, Penn State has some potential down there. Now, you don't want to overload. You don't want to throw, you know, you're not trying to get six or seven guys from Florida every year to come up and, and, and be your guys because you have to build from the inside out if you're Penn State always been a regional first program but to get a couple of these guys every year um you know it's it, it's certainly going in the right direction for Jay Wan Sider in Florida yeah last February um it was a conference call after the the traditional signing period and, and it was our first chance to ask James Franklin about Sider and a few things stuck out then that really really stand out now he said uh, he anticipated Slater would be able to get them into doors that they otherwise wouldn't have been able to have access to. Open those doors. Noah Kane is a great example. Uh, you know, he had the relationship in place for, for, for a while with Slater, and Slater was the one who presented that offer to him um, last January. And then Dunmore, he was committed to the Florida Gators staff, and, and that's where you would have found Slater this time last year. So that opened the doors. And he also said, you don't hire Jaywan without going hard at, at Florida. And he, he, he doubled down on this yesterday. You don't just hire guys and say, well, here's what the guy you're replacing did in recruiting. So you're just going to fill that same thing. You play to the strong suits of your staff, put them in a, in, in a position to go handle their business where they handle their business best. And they, uh, Franklin really let, let them go ahead and do that. And in terms of surprises for me, um, you know, as much as I said, the big get late was John Dunmore because there was some suspense there. And we know that there was a suspense with uh, Noah Kane down the stretch. To me, the surprise was just how, from the outside looking in, how drama-free it looked like for the other, you know, 85% of this class uh, that had committed earlier in the process. And, and again, we're talking about a class that features 12 high school seniors who are considered top five players in their state. Um, and, and for 10 of those guys, those states are not Pennsylvania. So to be able to keep those guys, you know, focused in on Happy Valley, no, not looking around. We know James Franklin doesn't want these guys visiting elsewhere. He considers a, a, a commitment, uh, an engagement, and, and it means you're gonna you're gonna sign with the program, and, and it's a commitment on both sides. So we know what their what their kind of outlook is in terms of visiting recruits and all that stuff. But these guys just there was never any semblance of of wanting to reopen things or, or wanting to look around. Now there may have been discussions in living rooms and uh, among parents, and and that maybe would say otherwise, but. We have our, you know, our, our finger on the pulse here pretty good. We're talking to people on both sides of the equation. And I just think it's really impressive that for a second straight cycle, the big outlier being Micah Parsons, the guys that Penn State brought in early to these classes, it was just cruise control to the finish line for the most part. And, and that is hard to do in college football. Yeah, and everybody's going to make a run at everyone, especially with this new signing period. You're not only making a run to try and get them to sign in December, but hey, you're calling up uh, committed kids that that are going to process or to programs that you're going to compete with, and saying, hey, maybe don't sign in December. Maybe you know we might have a spot for you in January. So that's uh, that's been a really interesting uh, sort of flip side to this uh, this this early signing period. Tyler, I, I'm going to let you go. We've, we've gone longer than we said we would. That's a shock, I know. Um, 
but uh, you're, you're going to get on the holidays. Um, phenomenal work on signing day by Tyler. If you haven't checked it out, I don't know what's wrong with you. Um, you really should go read uh, the Noah Kane piece is phenomenal. He's done a bunch of other stuff as well, but well, a happy holiday to you. The next time we talk to you, we'll be talking citrus bowl. We'll be talking a little bit more recruiting, but uh, Hey, enjoy New Jersey. Thank you. Yeah. And uh, happy holidays to you. Same goes for everyone out there. Enjoy it with your family. Hope you get some downtime. We'll, get another podcast for you and then uh, it's going to be time to get down to uh, sunny Orlando hopefully warmer than it was last winter for the Citrus Bowl and uh, you know plenty of coverage coming your way thanks to everybody for riding along with us uh, you know down the final stretch here it was fun and uh, I think a lot of people are probably pretty happy with the outcome for Penn State we're going to ship Tyler off to New Jersey we're also going to go to the Garden State for our first guest of the show 24-7 sports own Brian Doan he's been fantastic for us at Lions 24-7 over the past couple of days and weeks and months I've probably talked to Doan 10 times a day on the phone in the last couple of weeks. I'm sick of him. I'm sure he's sick of me, but we're happy to have you anyway. Yeah, and I think the key on this one is our wives are very happy that we're not talking to them and instead talking to each other. I mean, that's a win for everybody as far as I see it. But Doan... (laughs) I know I don't get in trouble. (laughs) Doan, you watch Penn State sign 18 guys on Wednesday. What are your thoughts on the class as a whole? I know you've covered a bunch of Penn State classes how does this one stack up? Yeah, I, I think, it, you know, before we break down the class, the, the big thing with Penn State is what's going to happen, you know, in the month of January and early February on the defensive line. You know, you, you got a couple guys out there, you know, three of them just from the region who, to me, will make or break this class. And right now they're in good position with each of them. Devon Ellis, Jared Harrison, Hunt, Smith, Vilbert. But I think when you look, I mean, Penn State, from a skill perspective, got a lot better on offense. I, I really like some of the things they've done on offense, especially um, at the running back spot. I, I think they picked up a couple of really good players there. I was able to see both of them at the opening last year between Devin Ford and, and Noah Kane, or actually in July, just feels like last year. Uh, offensive line, I, I really like Caden Wallace. He's a kid I've been able to see a, a few times. Um, Keen Beeman's a really good player. I, I like his length and size off the edge. I think they've done a really good job. It's curious you never want to take two quarterbacks in a class. Understand that. But when you have attrition and we have some things change, it becomes a necessity. And so that's something I'm really curious to see how Penn State deals with. I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just saying it's usually not the way you do business. They had to do it. Make no mistake. They had to do it. But, uh, you know, I, I think overall, I like what they did at the skills position. Uh, I think you know, it always goes back to the Ohio State game, right? And afterward, when James Franklin said, we have to be elite, we have to be elite, that starts at the line of scrimmage. So I think this Penn State class, I think we will judge it in its totality in February when we see who signs. Yeah, I think that, that's a fantastic point. I mean, it's it's going to come down to the Ellies and, and Harrison Hunt and Smith Vilbert. And of course, they're going to make a run at Doug Nestor as well. So, I mean, you, you've got some holes there. There's holes at defensive tackle and off- offensive tackle, as we've spoken about earlier on the podcast. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, how they close in, in January. And this is, you know, last year they went after Rasheed Walker. They went after, what, two or three guys in January. This this time you've got, you know, four or five guys that you want to land in, in February. I mean, you've got an opportunity to close. And a lot of that's going to be on James Franklin and Sean Spencer and, and Phil Galliano as they try to, uh, to, to secure that New York – New Jersey type trio, of course. Uh, you know they've already got Adisa Isaac, who I know you're a big fan of. Um, but uh, Harrison Hunt and uh, Smith Vilbert are going to be really big ones right in your area. Listen, before I get to the guys who, who they're going after, we should say something about Adisa Isaac because Steve Wolfong did an unbelievable story on him and, and what life is like for him with three siblings that are special needs, and his mom does an incredible job raising them and Adisa. And people get caught up in recruiting of, well, he didn't pick my school, so you hate him, or he picked my school, you like him more. I was going to tell you, Adisa Isaac, I really hope it works out for him at Penn State, because if it does, in about three years, when Penn State has some huge home game, and game day is there, and Adisa Isaac is one of the stars on the defensive line, you you can already hear uh, Tim Rinaldi you know, narrating the piece about just what Adisa Isaac means to his family, what going to college will mean for him and getting his degree, and can he go to the NFL? And I think if 
people haven't read it, just look in his profile on 24-7 and take some time to read it, especially during the holiday season where you want to really make yourself, you know, feel like you have things that are going well for you. It will make you feel great about a, a kid who's coming to Penn State to represent that school. I, I think it's tremendous. And then when you, you look at the other guys, like, you know, you talked about Harrison Hunt and Nestor with just one of the great segues by myself there. But, you know, the thing about Harrison Hunt and Nestor, James Franklin already, you know, went in home, wanted to make sure they had chances with not only Nestor, but also Zach Williamson, who wound up going to Louisville. But so it's really going to be on the assistant coaches now. Doug Nestor has four official visits. One, you figure, is going to come to Penn State. Harrison Hunt's already been on as an official visit to Penn State. He's going to take one probably to Alabama and an unofficial to Michigan because he used an official to go to Arizona State, which now you see why it's really important that you take your time. But this is going to be more about can Franklin do stuff with the family, FaceTime, text, whatever it takes. He's going to have to be really creative in things like that. Yeah, and he also used his in-home on Devon Ellis. And by the way, a nice segue going from uh, Queens, New York to Huntington, West Virginia. I'm sure that's been done a lot. But uh, yeah, he also used his for Devon Ellis. They they held back on Smith Vilbert. I know you're close to that recruitment. Uh, Vilbert was a guy they thought that they could get to sign, and then all of a sudden they they, they pumped the brakes. He was actually, James Franklin was actually in New Jersey uh, to go visit him, and then they decided that they'd be better off going in the new year. So. Um, I mean, you're looking to get those guys signed in December, but you do what you have to do in, in, in January. You've been following this class for a long time, and two guys that really stick out to me that, that, that you've covered for a while, Anthony Wigan and Jaquan Brisker, uh, junior college kids. You know you put them in a, in a different pile from the rest of the high school kids, but these are two kids that Penn State really has an opportunity to get on the field early and to make an impact. Yeah, they better get on the field because, you, you know, if you're a JUCO kid, you, you don't go to sit for a year. You go to play, and you you want to make that impact immediately. You want to get there for spring ball. You want to do all that stuff. We'll start with Wigan, a kid out of Maryland. And look, they did a good job of making sure once Anthony Wigan committed, that Anthony Wigan stayed committed, didn't look around. Lackawanna Junior College gets a lot of traffic with coaches coming through. And one thing you really give to the coaching staff there is when a kid commits, he stays committed. Wiggins, a guy you come in, you, you think he's going to be able to have a place to play on the offensive line at one of the tackle spots. I'd like to see him get a shot at left tackle. He's, you know, everybody, well, we didn't hear him coming out of high school. No, because he developed. That's why he went to junior college, because he, he wasn't kind of ready to play in, at a four-year school at a big-time university. But I think he's a guy, he's got quick feet, he's strong. Uh, he's going to have to learn a little bit more technique. Sometimes he leans forward, but you bring him in, and, and you, if you're Penn State, if he is not challenging for a, spark, a starting spot coming out of spring practice, you're sitting there going, well, wait a minute, we got to get improvements from him in these areas. But I, I really like him a lot. I, I think it, it tells you what Penn State's thinking of their tackle depths with bringing him in. And then Jaquan Brisker, listen, I, I, like Ju I remember watching Jaquan Brisker at an Under Armour camp at Miss Gilbert's high school. At the time, it was Robert Martin's high school, too. And, I mean, he was about 112 pounds, you know, really thin. But what stood out to me was his athleticism and his length, and he just moved so well. And I had stayed in contact with him, and nothing was really going on with him recruiting-wise. He, he had to make sure he took care of things in the classroom. And I'm not going to say he had a lot of trouble as a student, but I, I don't think he understood – now, you know, the way he does now, I don't think he understood then. And, and then, we, you know, he got bigger, he got stronger. Because he was always Penn State, right, from the second they offered him, he was going to be Penn State. I remember, oh, I'm going to sign signing day. And then, you know, lo and behold, over the summer and the spring, he's committing. That kid is unbelievable as a player. He is a kid that should be able to come in right away and play as a safety. His, his tape is electric. And then... For me, I'm able to say, okay, this is what I remember from him in high school. I did not see him play in college. I can only go by tape. But it really translates well. And I think Penn State got a real, I don't, you know, steal, I guess, is one way to put it. But I think because he, his recruitment wasn't really hyped, that people have a tendency maybe to forget him. 
But I, I'll tell you what, I, I expect once he gets acclimated at Penn State and understands what they want to do defensively, whenever James Franklin decides to speak about spring practice and what he sees and when it's open, I think you're going to hear Juwan Brisker's name used a lot. And you and I have similar Brisker stories. I, I saw him at Penn State's camp a couple a couple of years ago, and it was uh, a situation where Lamont Wade was there and, and Yitor Gross Matos was there. It was the team camp, and Gateway was there. And this kid just kept making play after play after play, and I snapped one of my favorite pictures that I've ever snapped of him just just showing up a kid on another team. It was fantastic. And uh, you, you look around, you ask around, and you say, well, he's, he's not going to college. He, he can't, can't cut it in the classroom, hasn't been able to, to, to focus, and, and because of that, I think he may have had a Temple offer or Duquesne or something like that. And It's just the offer list and the recruitment didn't, didn't match the talent for a reason. So Brisker is a guy that uh, you know, really could, could come in and be that immediate guy. They're replacing Nick Scott, of course. There's a few safeties back uh, coming next year. But uh, moving up one level, Penn State's linebacker class probably matches up just about with anybody else's in the country with Brandon Smith and, and Lance Dixon. I know you're a big Brandon Smith fan. Um, how important is, is that to, to build on that last class of Micah Parsons and Jesse Lucchetta? Yeah, I mean, I think if you're, you know, everybody says Penn State linebacker you, and that's great and all, but what it really means is that Penn State's really strong at the second level on defense. And if there's a, a few shortcomings on a defensive line, the linebackers can clean up from it. And, and obviously, you get a kid like Brandon Smith, who is just so athletic and he's so flexible. And this is going to be uh, – some people will get this. Some people will have no idea what I'm talking about. But we'll go for it anyway. So – is there basically all conversations me, in a nutshell him, anyway? I, yeah, I watched him at the opening, and the first thing that jumped out to me when I was watching him in one of the drills was Jack Skellington from The Nightmare Before Christmas, where there's a scene where you know Jack Skellington can get his legs really wide, and, and he's so flexible he can get down really low, and his butt almost touches the ground on whatever part of the movie it's in and I'm watching Brandon Smith and he's so long and flexible and he moves so well with his explosion coming out of that crouch I was like holy cow this kid I mean a kid that size should not be able to bend and move that way and I I was pushing for a while to make him a five star and you know he didn't have the greatest Under Armour camp when I went down to see him but he had the greatest athleticism and that's what you look for. You know, everybody talks about, you know, you've heard it a million times, but it says, well, why is this kid rated so low? He just ran for 4,000 yards his senior year. And really, your production has very little to do with your, your ranking because it can be determined on so many other factors. But a kid of his size and length is so incredibly athletic. I've been doing it a long time. I, I can't match him with anybody else. I mean... I cannot figure out a guy of that size with that athleticism and that flexibility that I've covered in the 10 or 11 years I've done this. But you can relate him to a movie uh, about uh, Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah, perfect. Analysis you can only get well, here it, from it, us. It, you know, <laughs> in, my, in my defense, it is one of the best movies of all time. And if anybody wants to debate it, yes, it is a Christmas movie. All right. Very good. Very good. Last time you were on, we talked about 2020 recruiting, what Penn State has to do. Uh, we also talked a little bit about the potential opening at, at Maryland with Mike Loxley. Now that he's been hired, looking forward, what does Penn State have to do to sign a, a top 2020 class in your mind? Uh, just keep being Penn State. Keep working hard. Keep finding guys early. Uh, when I talk to kids, the biggest thing that I get from kids and, 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 folks, I know sometimes you just read through the quotes and it's whatever. Read the consistency of the quotes when kids do visit stories, and it will tell you a lot of how Penn State does things, how much they like them, and how much the kid likes Penn State. Because Penn State, better than any school in the region, and, and almost I can't say every school in the country because I don't cover every school, but what you always find all the time with Penn State is how well they connect with the coaching staff. Yeah, they like Sean Spencer, but they also like Brent Pry and, you know, Ricky Ronnie and, and James Franklin. And they do an unbelievable job of recognizing talent and just going all in on that talent and making those kids feel really welcome. It's a tough balance between always being on top of a kid 
and making him feel important and welcome and bothering him too much. You know, you don't want guys when they're on visit, you know, hey, don't forget about how great we are. You want them to understand when the right thing is to, to recruit, make the kid feel comfortable, and it goes back, we'll full circle it to Adisa Isaac. One of the biggest reasons he's going to Penn State is because the way the Penn State coaching staff recruited his family and his siblings. And I think that's the biggest thing to watch for is, you know, Penn State, they already know who they want for the most part. They've identified a lot of kids. They'll, they'll get some kids up on campus and they'll offer them because that's the character to get them on campus. There'll be plenty of others they offer during the spring evaluation period, but things are so spread up. You know where they're looking right now. Just build those relationships. And don't worry that Mike Lockley is the coach at Maryland because you can't do anything about that. What you can control is your message that you're going to have a chance to compete for a Big Ten title and that you're going to play in front of 100,000 people in home games. That's what you need to talk about. And then you'll point to what you do down below in the DMV for there or in New Jersey or Pennsylvania, wherever you want to go. And you'll talk about the Penn State Alumni Network. So keep doing what you're doing and you'll get kids. Yeah, I think so. And, and with the opportunity in front of them in the 2020, the region in 2020 is very good. Of course, Julian Fleming's a, a big time target and go from there with Brian Bressy and, and a lot of those other guys. But yeah, it's uh, it, it's a big opportunity for Penn State. Big opportunity for you. I, I hear you're doing a little Christmas shopping in, in Garrett Sickles old neighborhood today. I am. I am uh, in Red Bank, which is, listen, if you're not from, or if you're from Jersey and haven't been there, or you have a chance down at the Jersey Shore. Red Bank really isn't the Jersey Shore, but it's a really cute, quaint little town with some great shops and unbelievable restaurants. So if you're ever there, I mean, it's absolutely fantastic. And you know, maybe I'll see Garrett. I don't know where he is these days, but one of the hey, one of the good kids in recruiting now. Really a nice kid, and I'm glad you bring him up because it's what makes this job so much fun. Yeah, covering recruiting's fun, but you meet great great kids who are full of optimism and are going out to change the world and it's really refreshing and, and it helps keep someone old like me pretty young all right well you enjoy your shopping day we appreciate your time as always i'm sure you will stop by the site uh, probably multiple times today with more info but 24 7 sports brian Doan. thanks for joining us you can follow him at uh brian Doan 247 on twitter of course he's all over our site so thanks for joining us brian so I said first guest. Apparently I meant only guest. We tried to get Steve Wilfong on. Uh, Christmas happened, as it has for many of us. But uh, we're going to close the show up right now, uh, send it into the holiday. Hope everyone has a great Christmas. Uh, happy holiday. And if you're traveling down to the bowl, please be safe. We will be back uh, hopefully before the bowl game to talk a little bit about uh, Penn State's matchup with Kentucky. But this has been the Lions 24-7 podcast. For Tyler Donahue, I'm Sean Fitz. Thanks for joining us, and Merry Christmas.